Well, it's uh, wonderful to be uh, back with family, to uh, be back at uh, CBC. We love this church. Thank you, uh, Pastor Dick. Whenever I get your uh, email, I open it right away uh, because I'm uh, honored. You call, I come. That's a, that's a simple formula. And uh, uh, it's also a joy uh, seeing Darnell, who is a student of our New York Divinity School, and our partner institution, City Vision uh, University. Of course, I don't need this up here, right? Uh-oh, got hooked on this. And uh, he's a devoted and uh, brilliant young man with uh, God's uh, guidance and anointing on him, and we look for uh, greater and greater things in his life. And, uh, and thank you, um, Ms. Barnes, too, for your testimony. Appreciate that. Um, today, uh, we're uh, looking at what some people like to just kind of skip over, the, the hall of faith, the great heroes of faith. Uh, we love to uh, read in the first, uh, you know, 85, 90% of uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, but the suffering part, and more than just suffering, the martyrdom that uh, has marked people of faith uh, right from the beginning and continues in our own time. Uh, the numbers of people that have died for their faith in Jesus just in this year and in uh, recent years is, is huge. The persecution against Christians is uh, huge phenomenon that is rarely reported in the press. Uh, about 90% of people that die for their faith are Christians. And uh, part of the amazing growth of the church in Africa and, and East Asia has been the persecution. Because when people know that they could die for their faith, they want to really understand their faith a little better. Right? It focuses the mind and the heart and the guts as well. And uh, the, the whole region of um, dying for our faith and being totally devoted to God is, is a very important subject for us to talk about. Because who knows what our own future is, as comfortable as we are uh, being able to worship freely at CBC and, and you know, tens of thousands of other uh, churches in uh, in America. So I'd like to share with you on uh, three amazing words, three words that end with ness. Uh, and first is holiness. Second is witness. And third, joyfulness. And we invite you to choose, to choose holiness to choose witness, and to choose joyfulness, all of which are taught very strongly in this uh, very powerful passage. Holiness. You know, that word has gotten a bad rap in our own time, uh, and partly because we've allowed it to be degraded by uh, people that are, think they're holier than you, the holier-than-thou crowd. Uh, uh, as far as I know, none of that crowd is 
present this morning. Am I right, Pastor? No one has that attitude. Uh, but uh, the whole idea of self-holiness, too, self-righteousness. Uh, even though the Bible teaches that our righteousness is a gift from Christ, to be in right relationship, that's what righteousness literally means. Uh, zadok in the Hebrew, to be in right relationship is a gift from Christ. And um, self-righteousness really doesn't count. We need to focus on holiness, which means devotion to God. Holiness is devotion to God. Jesus taught it repeatedly and lived it repeatedly. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps you say those words every day. Or think them. And we know what God's authority is in heaven. If, if we have that same devotion to God, to be obedient to him, to seek to do things that increase his reputation, which is what to glorify God means, to, to increase his reputation, um, then we would be devoted to God. We would fulfill. We would be the answer to the very prayer when we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can't pray such words unless when you get off your knees, you're willing to do those words or forget praying them. How do you promote an idea that you're not willing to be part of? That's brokenness. And, and that amazing prayer in the garden before Jesus was arrested and then tortured and then died for our sins, he said to the Father, thy will be done. So the, the Lord's prayer was his life, very powerful. So this uh, idea of total commitment, this amazing devotion to God, there are, there are hundreds of models of that within the scriptures. I often think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were uh, supposed to be the, you know, the bright uh, future uh, as part of uh, Babylon. Uh, they were picked out as, uh, as talented and gifted and uh, given a special track of uh, training along with Daniel and others. And uh, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar put out this uh, golden statue for everyone to worship, these men kept standing, did not go on their knees. They talk about public devotion to God. So they were called into Nebuchadnezzar's uh, throne room, and he said, I'll give you a choice. You know, you either uh, uh, bow now, or we'll, I'll put you in this uh, furnace, and you will die. And, um, and, and so just do it. Just do it, and uh, it'll all be uh, fixed. And uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and, and then uh, Nebuchadnezzar added this zinger, and surely your God could never protect you from the fire in my furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, and this is in chapter 3 of Daniel, they, they said, we know God is able to protect us. But even if not, we will never bow to your statue. We will never serve your pagan religion. Well, you know the rest of the story. 
but but that even if not, we, we ought to listen to it carefully. God does not guarantee that in our faithfulness to, to him, we will always be successful, protected, never lose a job for our devotion to God, never lose a job for our commitment to proper ethics. Uh, and uh, no, there's no guarantee in all of Scripture. The lines, and they lived happily ever after, that's not in Scripture, all right? They live happily in heaven in the Lord's presence, yes. But the Scripture is unlike any other. The Bible is unlike any religious text in the world. All those teach some form of uh, karma, that you're going to get justice in this world, for better or for worse, it's all going to work out. And uh, the Scriptures teach that the, the good die young, that uh, to, to serve God is costly. Jesus said, carry your own cross, uh, a very vivid reminder that it can be extremely costly. You know, when I was very young, uh, five missionaries were missing in Ecuador. Uh, some of you are old enough to know this story. And uh, one of those five missionaries was supported by the church I was uh, growing up in. And another one was a brother-in-law of one of my favorite first cousins. So through the family network and through the church, we got repeated updates on trying to find out what happened to them and then to get the gruesome details. And shortly after that, Time Magazine uh, producing a, about a 10 or 12-page pictorial about the amazing devotion of these five missionaries and uh, their gift of their lives for God. Uh, but that's, of course, not the end of the story. Uh, Jim Elliott, who was a brother-in-law of one of my first cousins, uh, he, uh, his wife, uh, Betty Elliott, as we call her, or Elizabeth Elliott, uh, uh, stayed around and a couple of the other uh, widows and they were able to actually bring all the tribe to know Jesus out of their devotion. So devotion still wins, but it's costly. Holiness still wins, but it's hazardous. Um, and, of course, Jesus is our prime example who uh, devoted his life He's the example for everything, of course, but um, his own devotion to fulfill a very costly sacrifice of himself for us is uh, beyond description. We can thank him. We can talk about it. But, but that choice of our Lord Jesus Christ is beyond description. Now, you've probably experienced uh, times when you had to make a tough choice. And, and it costs you your job, or you thought it might cost your job. You didn't know for sure, but, but you were weighing the, the cost-benefit, so to speak. And let me just share a brief story. It uh, goes way, way, way back. Shortly after Vicki and I were married, we were both high school teachers in the same high school. So we got to eat three meals a day together 
Isn't that amazing? It was beautiful. And this was in a high school that had very recently been integrated. And it was about half black, half white in uh, a southern town. And uh, uh, a lot of racism. I knew the area because I had uh, done some work in setting up tutoring programs and other activities. I've worked with churches. And uh, so this was uh, another step. And, uh, uh, you know, and racism is just so awful. Uh, we don't need to add to that this morning. God desires, look at heaven, look at the uh, church in heaven, every tribe and tongue together. And, and if we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we ought to be uh, looking for every opportunity to bring all people together as God's children, as God's amazing family. So uh, first day uh, the children were back to school, first day of classes, the senior class president came to me. She a fine uh, uh, white young lady. She was not in any of my classes. I was teaching uh, pre-calculus and algebra. And uh, so she came by, though. She said, uh, you know, we have, uh, we as the senior class get to choose our baccalaureate speaker. The administration chooses the graduation speaker. I said, well, good. She said, well, uh, I need your help. She said, we've heard that you've been involved with ministries in the area. Maybe you have an idea who would be a great baccalaureate speaker. I said, well, I have some thoughts already. Uh, but I said, let me uh, pray about it tonight and, and uh, tomorrow. But in the meantime... You, you, you now plan to come by tomorrow, but I, I want you to check out the three years the school has been integrated. Could you find out how many of the graduation speakers were black? How many of the graduation speakers were white? How many of the baccalaureate speakers were black? How many of the baccalaureate speakers were white? You got six speakers. Yeah, what's, what's the proportion here? Now, Vicki and I had already noticed that this high school, we figured this out pretty fast, this high school had the school colors of the white high school that preceded it. This school had the mascot of the white high school that had preceded it. This school had the school newspapers named from the white high school that had preceded it. This school had the school song of the white high school that had preceded it. This school, the name of the annual of the white high school that had preceded it. Nothing had remained from the black high school. There was no sign of welcome, of, dare I say, equality. There was no sense of that. And Vicki and I even went to uh, school board meetings thinking we could uh, figure out what's going on, what's their attitude about education. And they never talked about education at the school board meetings. It was always some racist comments, a racist story. It was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. So this young lady comes back uh, the next day, and she said, uh, all six were white. I wasn't shocked. So I said, here's my list. Uh, and I said, uh, first two are the best. And, and both were highly articulate leadership quality African-American uh, ministers in other counties nearby, very close by. And I, and I said, absolutely, uh, the first one, Henry Mitchell, he's the best. He's the best. 
He's so articulate. He'll just blow everybody away. So I don't hear back from her. I'm not the senior class sponsor. Nothing, you know, no uh, feedback. But come January now, <laughs> that was September. Now come January, early January, like we just got back from uh, Christmas vacation. Um, I'm starting the um, uh, calculus class, the pre-calculus class. And uh, the principal secretary comes in and just doesn't even knock, just opens the door and says loudly to me, uh, the principal needs to see you. Well, the class chuckled. And, and I said, well, fine, I'll, I'll stop by his office after this class. She said, no, he has to see you now. And now the class was just roaring in laughter. And, and I, yeah, I understand. So I put uh, one of the uh, brightest uh, kids at my desk to uh, monitor what goes on while I was gone. I didn't know that I'd be gone the whole class. But, um, and I put an assignment on the board that they had to do right there and hand it in to Sharon Johnson, her name was. And uh, uh, then I left, went down. And the principal closed the door. He, he grabbed his phone and placed it right in front of me. He said, uh, I hear you told the senior class they had to get Henry Mitchell to be the speaker, and uh, he's terrible. He's a, he's a radical. He's dangerous. Uh, we can't have it, and you must call him right now and tell him he's not welcome at this high school. And, and I said, um, I can't do that. I said, first of all, he'll be a great speaker. And secondly, I don't have any authority. The, the, the children invited him. Um, and, and I said, no, I, I can't do that. And uh, he said, but you must, or it'll just be chaos. It'll, it'll hurt everybody, hurt the superintendent, hurt the school board. It'll hurt me. He says, we can't do this. It can't happen. He said, just call him right now. And, and, uh, he said, I don't want you to lose your job. No, I want you to call him right now. And I said, well, I could give you his phone number. And he said, I can't call. He said, I can't call. And, and I'm, while I'm talking with this guy, uh, Gabble was his name, my principal Gabble, I'm constantly praying too. You know, we can multitask, pray, and, and talk. And um, I'm praying for wisdom. And, and uh, the Lord gave me this thought that, that if I did call, they could just say, well, we, don't, we really didn't want to cancel him. But that crazy math teacher that we uh, uh, hired, he called, uh, uh, you know, Henry Mitchell, and uh, we're just sorry that, that that happened. So they could blame it all on me. But in any case, what, whatever the, the backstory was, um, an hour passed, and he was still high-pressuring me any way he could and saying that it would be dire consequences for me if I didn't. And I said, I've got to teach another class. I'm sorry, but I can't do this. And I walked out. You know, that seems like just a little thing, but I knew my devotion to God meant integrity for the children. Can you imagine if that got canceled? 
what hurt that we've done for all of the children. And this guy came. You know, no one canceled it. The, the superintendent, the principal, no one had, had the whatever, stupidity or guts or whatever to cancel. So this guy came, and it was one of the most amazing sermons. I still remember parts of it. It was so awesome. You know how you have to tell the seniors, now let's practice standing up together and sitting down together? If you've ever uh, been with you know, some kind of rehearsal for our students, you know you have to do that. Uh, but he, in the middle of his sermon, without even gesturing with his hand, he says, would all the seniors please stand? And as a body, they stood up. And he quoted scripture after scripture after scripture to empower them for godly living. And then he said, seniors, you may sit down. And they sat down together as if they had rehearsed it. Isn't that amazing? Well, afterwards, and and there's so much to talk about today, but afterwards, uh, I'm chatting with the principal. Uh, His punishment was to, of course, not give me a contract for the next year. But I'm chatting with the principal, uh, and and Henry Mitchell comes up. Uh, And I I said to uh, Henry Mitchell, you know, the principal heard that you were a radical, and, and they had some questions about your coming to speak at the baccalaureate. And, uh, and Henry Mitchell interrupts me. He says, but Paul, I am a radical. I'm a radical for Jesus. I thought, hallelujah. Would to God we were all radicals for Jesus. At our very root, radical means at your very root, at your very core, you're for Jesus. Well, holiness is often costly, but so is witness. Holiness and witness can both be costly. Uh, Even in our own minds, when you hear witness, sometimes you think witness protection program. Uh, Sometimes there has to be a protection program for witnesses. And a vivid sense of the uh, costliness of wisdom, uh, of uh, costliness of witness um, in a experience I had a couple years ago, I was uh, witnessing, uh, sharing the gospel on 125th Street, uh, and had an extended conversation with a white man, and, and he, in the middle of it, said, please, could you buy me an uh, uh, orange drink? And the, there was a, a vendor just uh, a short distance from us uh, selling uh, glass bottles of uh, orange juice and other good things. So I, I bought it for him, and so we're chatting, and he's sipping away at the uh, orange juice. And then suddenly, uh, out of the blue, he, he takes that bottle and bangs it on the head of a Hispanic guy walking by. And, and the uh, bottle did not break, thankfully. I think he was thinking the bottle might break and actually cut the, the man. Uh, it was just so viciously done, so strongly done. And immediately, a, a black man jumped uh, from the crowds of people on the sidewalk and started beating up the white guy that I was witnessing to. So I, uh, I'm not uh, good at uh, getting in the middle of a fight, so I ran into the street, and, and quickly, there was a police car coming by. I, I waved at them to stop, and uh, three policemen came out, and... and uh, 
you know, here the uh, white guy was bleeding a little bit. He had some cuts. And the uh, black guy was standing there. The Hispanic guy disappeared. I knew where he went, but I uh, decided not to p tell the police. And uh, But the um, police said, anyone see this? What happened? You know, any witnesses here? And, and they were scanning the crowd. There were easily 60 people saw this, all right? Guess how many people volunteered to be a witness? Yes, one. Thank you, Lillian. One. Me. I was the witness. And I explained what happened. And guess what? They arrested the black guy, not the white guy, in spite of what I said had happened. And they uh, arranged for an ambulance, take the white guy to the hospital, have his uh, sores repaired. And they, uh, and they went off. So, uh, hey, uh, police are not fair. Uh, it's just a, a one vivid case right in front of my own eyes of uh, uh, racism on the streets. Now, Jesus, of course, was a, a model a witness. And he uh, taught us to become witnesses. And in the Bible text um, that was read earlier, thank, thankfully, uh, it says in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, they were surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. Now, take that literally, that they are witnesses. They are, we have all these uh, people that have lived devoted lives, lived holy lives, you know, devoted to God, and they're watching. They're, they're cheering us on to be holy people in 2021. And... Uh, at the same time, I want to remind you, you may know already that the word for witness in that verse is martyr. Because in, in experience, not just in Christian circles, that a Christian witness could become a martyr if you're open about your devotion to God. Uh, but uh, uh, that's part of uh, that, that linkage between martyrdom and, and witness was established um, be long before the author is writing. Uh, so we are surrounded by a, a crowd, a whole crowd of martyrs, people that paid a price to be a witness. And, and I, th I think a lot of us don't witness as much as we should, not because we risk imprisonment, not because we risk uh, losing a job, but, but we're afraid of what people will think. We, it's what I, I call velvet persecution. We're, we're so comfortable that we're, uh, we're, we just let opportunities slip by. And instead of uh, calling a couple of unsafe friends this afternoon to tell them about um, Ms. Barnes' testimony and about the message and about the text, to say, hey, we had a great time at CBC this morning. Let me just share with you. Take, listen to me, please. Listen to me for a couple minutes. I want to share with you what I experienced at CBC this morning, what I learned. Instead of doing that, you're going to watch TV or read the paper or whatever to let the, the thought disappear or, or to do a blast email later on today or tomorrow that, that includes some of the key points of this text to say, hey, I've, uh, my eyes are open to something very important I want to share with you. 
Send it to your Christian friends or non-Christian friends. Be a source of light. Be a witness. Might someone unfriend you? Maybe. But in America, our persecution is, is not so vicious in lots of other places. As, as, a, as a teenager, I chose to go to East Berlin to, to actually see the wall from both sides and, and to uh, witness on the streets. I was arrested twice. And a few years later, many years later, I, uh, I was called on to go to Romania uh, in 1986, spend two months in Romania uh, as a tourist, all right? I applied for a tourist visa. Just to be honest, I spent almost an hour in a museum in two months. Uh, but I was uh, linked together with the most amazing church. There are a lot of most amazing churches, I guess, but I, I just want to mention that this church, uh, Second Baptist Church of Aradia, had the biggest church attendance of any Protestant church, any place in Europe in the 1980s. Its sanctuary was, was nice and large, uh, could seat uh, around 700. But every Sunday, I went to church every Sunday. I didn't like hanging out, especially with a pastor or whatever, though he and I were secretly working together during the week. But I would, I would come. That church was packed tighter than any subway I've ever been on. And I've been on some real sardine can versions of uh, subway experience. Uh, and they packed in 4,000 to 5,000 people. Our uh, fire safety experts would have gotten bent out of shape in a big way. Uh, and they were constantly hassled. They were allowed one meeting a week. The church was allowed to open up for one meeting a week. So Sunday morning service was three hours long with two sermons and tons of prayers. And, and without getting to a lot of details, the the pastor was Nikolai Gorgizia, the terrible Stalinist, worse than Stalin dictator, was Nikolai Chichesko. Evil, just vicious person. Hated Jesus, hated God, hated everything Christian. And uh, made uh, life as miserable as possible. The pastor of this church was Nikolai Gorgizia. He also had a medical degree. Uh, but it was devoting his life to pastoring at this stage in his life. The previous pastor, Joseph Tsan, whose name you may have heard of, uh, was forced to go into exile. Instead of killing him, the uh, Chitesco dict uh, dictatorship decided to force him into exile. They came to the uh, United States, and some of you may have heard him speak. I think he may still be alive. I'm not sure. But he was the previous pastor. But But here... A, a big event. I mean, it's just amazing. All these people singing together. And when they prayed, by the way, pastor, the pastor would pray, but everybody would pray at the same time. And uh, I'm sure the Lord is not strained to uh, hear all 5,000 prayers 
and uh, to bless each one. Uh, Gorgizia said to me uh, uh, one day, uh, I need your car. Well, I had uh, rented a car uh, from the Netherlands, and uh, it was very different from uh, his car. And um, it, he drove, by the way, a Mercedes-Benz. And let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, for a period of time, very short period of time, uh, a new plan was uh, put in place to kill Dr. Reverend Dr. Uh, Nikolai Gorgizia. And um, the plan was to have a car race through an intersection when, you know, spies said that his car was coming and to smash into the driver's door to try to kill him. And he survived those accidents. But he, after the second one, he figured there's a pattern here. Uh, so he was able to call some uh, wealthy people in America and asked for them to have made for him a Mercedes-Benz with a thick metal plate in the driver's door. And uh, they did that as quick as possible and had it shipped to him. And uh, from then on, uh, they continued for a brief period to try to kill him, but when they, re they realized that they weren't able to do it, but they attributed it to some higher power of some sort, not God, of course, because they were all atheists in the government, but, but to some, some power. And he became a kind of a folk hero. When you'd walk down the street, you could just, I could just see people point at him because here is a man who survived all these accidents without a scratch. It was like, like he had superpowers. The superpowers were, like you were saying, the church itself is a superpower by working together. And members of Jesus Church in America funded that very special Mercedes-Benz. But if he drove that to leave Aradia, they would have arrested him because he had a passport that uh, everybody had a passport, internal passport. You couldn't leave your own city without permission from the dictatorship. So he said, but if I drive your car, these uh, uh, guards at all the highways are so lazy. They'll, they'll see it's a Dutch uh, licensed uh, car. Doesn't look familiar. They just wave me out. They won't even look in the windshield. And I said, well, fine. Uh, so uh, where are we going? I want to come with you. And uh, he said, uh, going to a funeral. Uh, about an hour and a half away. So I rode uh, with him and his son. And uh, when we got there, uh, they were already gathered. He, they were able to uh, buy a funeral plot for the deceased uh, fairly close to a main road. And uh, already there were hundreds of people gathered for this funeral at the gravesite. Um, because that way they could put loudspeakers up and proclaim the gospel, uh, the, the most fantastic street meeting I've ever seen, proclaim the gospel loudly. Because in Romanian culture, you don't stop a funeral. And the dictator, this terrible dictator, respected you know, uh, that in, in a sense. Uh, so anyway, we got out, and already there was a brass band playing uh, a gathered male chorus over here with uh, like 30, uh, 30 men, a mixed chorus 
with about 50 men and women and seven preachers, seven preachers lined up to give a eulogy for the deceased. Uh, Gorgizia even invited me to preach. And I, I regret that I declined. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it was amazing. I took the time to walk down the street three or four blocks, and I could hear very clearly what was going on. People were opening their windows. Uh, people were just standing still on the sidewalk to focus on what they were hearing of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So I observed that uh, Gorgizia had this, this passion for serving God that gave him amazing joy. And, and this uh, gift of being able to tweak the dictator's nose to survive those car accidents uh, and do lots of other things. In fact, even the meetings that I was attending, I was, I was teaching from 9 in the morning to 9 at night, and, and we'd have uh, 15 to 30 young people in their 20s and 30s come to, to just have the joy of deep Bible study and deep examination of the application of the Bible to life, one of my passions and one of my specializations. And, and to do that 12 hours a day with brief uh, uh, break for uh, lunch and, and supper. Amazing. And I said, what happens when, when you get together if, if I'm not present? And, and they said, oh, the first thing we always do is figure out whose birthday it is. I said, huh? Huh? What does that mean? And they said, well, uh, if we were meeting to study the Bible, we could all be arrested and put in prison. But if we meet for a, a birthday, and out of 15 people or 30 people, chance of someone having a birthday within a few days, one way or the other, see the early birthday party or late, and they could just look at the passport I was telling you about, figure out what's the actual birth date. But uh, it worked. They were able to talk their way out of being arrested previously, you know, stick their Bibles under the, the cushion or their chair, or whatever, uh, when, when they thought uh, Securitat was coming. And they would um, uh, have a, a birthday cake, as a nice thing. Uh, every Bible study had a birthday cake, the double incentive to come to Bible study. Uh, and they would uh, be uh, prepared to uh, sing the birthday song uh, in Romanian, of course. But uh, uh, at any rate, I, I said, well, well uh, we've never done that. And I was here meeting with them Monday through Saturday, every day, and uh, with different groups. They would assign me uh, different groups, but nevertheless, uh, I was meeting with people. I said, nobody has ever had a birthday cake or a, a song or, or whatever. And they said, yes, because with you here, we're all in trouble. We can't use the cover of a birthday. Well, I had to do lots of things to avoid being detected. And uh, thank God they were all successful. None of the meetings that I uh, taught at uh, was anyone arrested. But they were risking, risking severe punishment to come to that study together. And some of them came several times, but always 15 or 30 
young people hungry. Now, one of the reasons is they were just hungry for intelligent conversations because as Christians, they were deemed by the dictator as retarded. You can't believe the gospel if you're an intelligent person. Uh, therefore, even though they got high marks, very high marks on standardized tests, uh, the government's official position was Christians cheat. It's the only way they get high marks on standardized tests. And uh, therefore, they're all retarded, in spite of what the data shows. What a hellish world. So many parts of the world still are. Still are. I have dear friends in uh, China. I have a previous student that uh, passed the, you know, there's no official church or whatever in all of Afghanistan, but, but he was very effective at ministering. We shared his, I shared his story uh, at an earlier time with you. But uh, uh, you know, so there are people in every country, even the most hateful places, uh, people are hateful against the gospel. But we are uh, here to talk about holiness, talk about witness, and to talk about joyfulness. Now, I'm a professional philosopher. I uh, earned a PhD, University of Virginia, in philosophy. My desire to do that, even though I have a great passion for the scriptures, as a teenager, I memorized almost all the New Testament. I'm, I'm also passionate about connecting with other people who have a whole different world frame, whole different uh, world view, world values, whatever, however you describe it. And curiously, uh, frequently when, when uh, we talk about what motivates people, what motivates great saints like you know, Mother Teresa or, or, or Martin Luther King or other uh, uh, outstanding, well-known Christians with these atheists. Most philosophers are atheists. Um, uh, 75% of the American Philosophical Association are atheists. Isn't that awful? And these are the students that are, the, the uh, teachers that our students are required to take courses from. Uh, yeah, God is not dead. Movies uh, may seem far-fetched to you. Uh, but I know for a fact that's how things go, all right? And I was a uh, target uh, of the many unfair uh, policies against me. But, but by God's grace, we are more than overcomers through Christ who loves us. So this idea of joy, the joy that Mother Teresa had, her sacrificial living, joy that Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King had, the amazing joy of serving God in spite of all the hardships, all the costs, all the just uh, overwhelming challenges that he faced. This uh, joy is, is so awesome. And when people demean those of us that have Jesus' joy, in our lives. Those that demean don't know us. They don't understand that it's not because we're not sacrificing anything. It's because that joy of Jesus is so precious, 
so heavenly, so amazing. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That explains so much. We, for the joy set before us, ought to choose holiness, ought to choose witness, ought to choose joyfulness, and to walk in Jesus' steps. And forget those that demean our sense of joy as as simply uh, uh, earthly, um, hedonistic uh, payoff for uh, doing the good things, risky things, hazardous things that we do as people of holiness, people of devotion to God. Uh, Don't let them demean your holiness. Don't let them demean your witness. Don't you demean your holiness. (laughs) Don't you demean your witness. Don't you demean your joyfulness. Because they're part of one God-given Let's pray. Great God, we are honored to serve you this morning. And uh, time flies, but we pray that these messages of your word and the stories of some of your heroes will inspire us all. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.